and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The word of the Lord. How are you? (laughs) Grateful. I'm grateful as well. Have you been doing that and seeing people just get perplexed when you say that? Praise God. It's, I don't know about you, but I need to respond that way for me to keep me on the side of being grateful as opposed to uh, despairing. Grateful, grateful. Today I'm grateful for you. Today I'm so grateful for Peter and the music ministry of this congregation. Profound, what a gift, what a blessing. Thank you. The passage that Rob read to us. I just want to read in the message, which has a little bit of a different um, feel to it. Sometimes this translation uh, lets Jesus get out of the box that we put him in. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him and said, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will set you free. Surprised, they said, but we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say the truth will free you? Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, a slave. A slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. The son, though, has an established position, the run of the house. So if the son sets you free, you are free through and through. I know you are Abraham's descendants, but I also know that you are trying to kill me because my message hasn't penetrated your thick skulls. Do you think Jesus was having a bad day? I'm talking about things I have seen while keeping company with the Father, and you just go on doing what you have heard from your Father. They were indignant, and the conversation gets worse. I'll I'll just leave it at that. But do you see Jesus is saying, if you keep my commandments, if you keep doing what I'm telling you, if you keep following my word, you will discover the truth, and the truth will set you free. The response of some of the religious people at that time said, we're children of Abraham, i.e., we are set. We're set. We've got all this long lineage of faithfulness. It would be like us saying, well, I am third-generation Methodist, or I am fifth-generation Christian. I'm set. And Jesus says to them, in other words, You cannot see your own blindness. You're blind, but you don't know it. Which is true 
for the people that Jesus was having a conversation with. And it's been true for every major religion. It's been true for Christianity of every season, of every era. We can't see our own blindness. And it's usually generations later or the next generation that points out how blind the generation before us has been. Jesus came to give sight to the blind. Every generation of the church goes through seasons of seeing and then blindness. Seeing and then blindness. And usually our blindness is in the form of exclusion. For some reason, Christians of every age have excluded someone. It's almost archetypal of every major religion. We get a religious fervor, we think we're right, and then we think for some reason it's our job to exclude those who are somehow different, somehow unclean, somehow less than, somehow on the margins. And it's in those seasons when we get exclusive that God sends us prophets, reformers, people who show us our own blindness and it's very painful and embarrassing and humiliating for us to be shown how blind we've been in every season of the last 2,000 years. Dr. Phyllis Tickle was a dean of a university, a professor, a writer, and she wrote about some church history, and the premise of her thesis was that every 500 years, something significant happens in society and in Christianity that changes our way of looking at ourselves as followers of Jesus. And every 500 years, we have what, is, what some refer to as a spring cleaning, or for us in the Chatham United Methodist Church, that season right before a rummage sale, where, where we go through our stuff and we decide, we don't need this anymore, we're gonna give it to the church so that they can make money for mission. Every 500 years, the church has gone through a preparation for a rummage sale. In the fifth and sixth century, the collapse of Rome the collapse of society as they knew it in the Holy Roman Empire. Pope Gregory bringing the church through that season. In 1054, there was a great schism where Christians in the East and Christians in the West parted ways and, and became the Roman Catholic Church of mainly Western Europe the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, the, the uh, Oriental traditions, there was that split, cataclysmic in the life of Christianity. In the year 1517, Martin Luther began the Protestant Reformation, and there were splits and, and, and bloodshed and struggling over what is it to follow Jesus? 
Do you know what the next 500th increment brings us to? Right about now. And there are theologians and philosophers and church leaders who are saying we are in the midst of another great tumult, another great emergence, another great convergence, another great disintegration of society as we knew it, and God bringing something new into Christianity that none of us really know how to describe. Some see it as the emergent church or the emerging church, a confluence of different spiritualities, all showing something different about what it is to follow Jesus. It's a confluence of Tze spirituality, early church, the mystics, East, Eastern Christianity, Western Christianity, praise music, and ancient chant, all confluencing together to form some new expression that we've never seen before. We may be in such a time. But for today, this Reformation Sunday, those of you who got here early enough, you saw the, the picture that Tom posted in the projection of Martin Luther, looking kind of grim and kind of uh, serious. He was a very complex man, but we celebrate what he did and how God used him to reform the church today. The reason why we have Reformation Sunday today is because it was on October 31st, 1517, that Martin Luther tacked his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. It was a protest statement. It was a statement that said, we can do better. It was a statement that said to the church of which he was a part. He was a Roman Catholic Christian. He was a monk. He was a priest. But he loved the gospel more than the institution of the church. And he wanted the institution that he gave his life to, to reflect the good news and the grace of Jesus Christ. And he wasn't seeing it. He, he was showing the church of his day their blind spots. And the authorities did not take kindly to it and took great offense at his critique. Martin Luther posted his 95 ideas on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel on one of the biggest fundraising days of the church. And the way that the church at the time was fundraising was by selling indulgences and saying to largely uneducated people who did not have access to read the scriptures themselves, saying, if you are worried about your mother, your father, your grandfather, your grandmother, your loved ones who may have died and who are either in hell or in purgatory, if you give money to the church, you will be able to free their souls. The church was raising money for what is now St. Peter's Cathedral uh, in in Rome. It's a lot of money to raise to, to build such a magnificent building. The big fundraising took place the days before All Saints Day, which is November 1st. All Saints Day, when we remember not only the great saints of the church, the great faithful people, 
but our own saints, the followers of Jesus who went before us. And so what Martin Luther was messing with was a huge fundraiser the day before All Saints Day, All Hallows Eve. That's why we call it Halloween, All Hallows Eve. And he nailed his ideas of reform to the door. That began a journey for Christians to wrestle with what is it to be faithful? What came out of it is a translation of the Bible into German so that the scriptures could be given to the people and not controlled by the clergy. That changed everything in Europe. It empowered people. It said to people, the gospel, the good news is for you. For you to be empowered to learn, to study, to interpret for yourselves and to live out the gospel because the world needs you to be faithful followers of Jesus. Worship started transitioning from Latin into German and into the language of the people so that people could understand what the songs were and understand what the liturgy was. People began to hear about the priesthood of all believers. The clergy are not more important than lay people. We have different roles, different ways of living out the gospel, but all baptized Christians are baptized into the priesthood of Christ and called to represent the Christ. Martin Luther said to all who would listen, you and I, we are all called to be little Christs. Reformation didn't just happen in the 1500s. God is always bringing reformers, always, in every congregation, in every season of the church, to say, we can do better. We can be more compassionate followers of Jesus. We can be more faithful followers of Jesus. And we need to listen to one another so that we might continue to grow and be faithful to the gospel of Jesus. Martin Luther and all great reformers reform because they have a hope, a hope that the church as it stands can be better, can be more faithful, can be more loving and more Christ-like. It begins with a hope. Critique comes, but if it's just critique and not standing on hope, it will not last. And so, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to invite us to get in touch with our hope for Christianity in the world. I heard a couple people recently say, you know, this political campaign is embarrassing because I hear Christians saying things that I, I just can't justify as a follower of Jesus. And we're all painted with a wide brush. And we're lumped together with all Christians. People think we're all the same, and we are not. So what is your hope for Christianity, which is greater than politics and should never be co-opted by politicians, but it is? What is your hope for Christianity? And then, what is your hope for Christianity 
in Chatham, in this church, in this greater community. Did you all get one of those little cards that we printed up? If you didn't get one, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring a card to you. And if you need something to write with, here, take some of those, Calvin, and pass those. Just take that and pass those right there. Who needs a card? Or a pen? Here you go. I would like us to, in the spirit of Martin Luther, pin our hopes to this door, which I want to just let you know that the RISE team, one of the RISE teams, and some of their friends helped build this door over at uh, Rob Lyon's house. He was giving us some ideas on how to do this. That doorknob is from Rich Kennedy. Someone said to me, you know, Rich Kennedy collects doorknobs. I called up Rich and said, do you have any medieval-looking doorknobs? He said, I have just the one. There it is. I must tell you, though, it doesn't work. So be careful with it. I know you want to go and pull it. Don't pull it too hard. <laughs> when you have finished, or perhaps begun, to answer these questions, what are your hopes for Christianity in the world? What are your hopes for Christianity in Chatham and nearby communities? I invite you to come and take one of these push pins and put it in the door. This may help us to see what other people's hopes are. This may help us to see that we're not alone in our hopes for Christianity, our hopes for this church, our hopes for God. The music that is being played is a mighty fortress is our God, Ein Festeburger, a hymn written by Martin Luther. He and all of the reformers of all time are part of the great cloud of witnesses, part of the communion of saints who worship the Lord God with us today in our midst as well as from a distant shore. As you are finished, I invite you to come and put your hopes on this door.